Hey everyone, thanks for listening in. You are tuning into the unedited episode with Scott Stallings. This is the uh, full interview when we sat down to chat at the 3M Open in Minneapolis. Uh, no edits, we just let it run. So if you enjoyed last week and want to hear a few more behind the scenes details, listen into this. It was a good one. Thanks again, Scott, for joining us. And uh, make sure to give him a follow on Instagram. Say thanks for sitting down and, and sharing so much really unique kind of info. So appreciate it. Scott, hey, it's fun to sit down with you here at uh, at the 3M in Minnesota. Welcome to welcome to my home state of all places. Nice. I've not <laughs> spent a ton of time in this area, but uh, looking forward to seeing people seem pretty excited about the tournament and being up here. Apologize for the obnoxious humidity and heat because it's uh, it's a bit much right now. No, I'm from Tennessee. This is very normal. <laughs> this is normal. All right, so we're talking about you know, how you got good, how you developed skills. So I guess just take us back to the start. Like what, what was your start in, in golf? I played every sport growing up as a kid, baseball, basketball, soccer, basically anything you can think of. And yeah, I was decently competitive in everything. And I was, but baseball was kind of my first love and I was on a traveling baseball team and golf was kind of something I did when the seat was kind of in the middle of the seasons. And when Tiger won the masters in 97, that was the week, my birthday's the last week in March, and I'd made my first ever hole-in-one. Nice. And then Tiger won the Masters, and so I was just <laughs> on a golf high. And we're getting ready to start spring practice to get ready for this travel baseball team. And so Monday after the Tiger won, I remember calling my coach. We were getting ready to have our first, like, we're going to go throw or, what you know, pretty yeah. low-key. And I called my coach, and, you know, we were on a team that was probably – 60 games a year at that point which is nothing now for how baseball is but you know for at that point in my life that was a lot and called him and said i was done i wasn't gonna play and i was gonna pursue golf and by by no means was golf the sport that i was best at but it was just something that i just fell in love with in the course of a a couple weeks and happy that i feel like i made the right choice <laughs> i think you did were you better at baseball or were you better at golf i was way i was golf was my worst sport really but i mean i, I lucked up i bladed a nine iron from like 140 yards and it went in and then i watched this 21 year old kid just blow away the field at the masters and it was just like i want to do that that's awesome how so, old were you at that i was 12 so you weren't necessarily good at that it was just like this is exciting were your parents a member at a course and you were out there all the time? Or no, like- I mean, I was, uh, at, at that point, I was transitioning. My dad was in seminary and I was with him on my spring break when he was at school. And I made my first, his seminary was in Raleigh, North Carolina at the old Wake Forest campus where like Arnie and those guys played. And I had this course that, you know, where we were, we were with him basically. I can't remember how much money I paid and I literally got to play all day and I remember coming in and my dad came to pick me up and this was way before cell phones and my dad ended up getting a ride out on the course and they said, oh, did you hear your son had a hole-in-one today? And it was just kind of like the cascade effect of after that of just, all right, man, we're really going to do this golf thing. I think something really interesting is like the basic question of like, what did you do to practice and get good? Were you playing all day were you hitting balls were you with an instructor like what did a day look like as a junior golfer play golf as much as you possibly can 
and figure it out like figure out how to dig it out of the dirt figure out how to put yourself in situations and get out of it like the the way golf is now from a performance standpoint of track man and functional movement and you know just the way the body works and everything i mean obviously there's a a time and a place where that comes in but also i think that it kind of takes the you know a lot of people need to kind of focus more on getting outside and, and figuring it out. My my score is based on how I go from the tee to get it in the hole as fast as possible. All the other stuff happens off the golf course. And, like, I struggle with that too now, especially with technology and what we have available to us on tour. You know, you're talking about real small margins and, and how to get better in just real incremental ways. I think, you know, even myself is uh, susceptible to that from time to time. So I was listening to your podcast on no laying up when you did that interview and you talked about your son, how he just goes out there and like was hitting drivers out of the bunkers and just like figuring it out and how you let him go do that. And I, I think that's awesome. Was that what you're kind of like how you grew up as well? Just trying to figure it out like that? Yeah. Right, wrong or indifferent. Like I was going to figure it out my way. And, you know, I had a super strong grip. I hit a big high draw. My wedges sucked. Yeah, my short game was average, but I could hit it a really long way, and I was a good ball striker. So I kind of, you know, looking back, if I could teach myself how to play like I know now, I would work from the green back. And it's crazy. Like, you see these pro-ams. Like, I'm getting ready to play the pro-am this afternoon. Like, I could take your 20 handicapper and just go around and caddy for them and not change a single shot or how they play, but just tell them what, like, where they need to be from situational awareness, from certain sides of the golf course i mean you save 10 shots off a round just by like learning how to play better not necessarily like oh you need to swing better you need to putt better obviously all those things are goes without saying that can lower your score but just from a mentality standpoint of learning how to manipulate your way around the golf course especially when you don't have it and kind of just trying to figure out the best version of, of what that day looks like and it's pretty crazy if i like i would love to go back to myself at you know that 12 year old kid and like man your short game just keep getting better at it like <laughs> do you hit a bunch of balls on the range like then or uh, back then when you're growing up or not, not really. really i've never really been a, a range guy i will play and practice a lot on the golf course like my i do a lot now at home i'll get up super early in the morning and go first off and play a couple balls or i'll go like really late in the day and play a few balls and play a couple different games on the course between myself from what kind of games are you playing Proximity to holes when I do, uh, you take uh, scoring averages and especially with the, the data that we have, you know, like strong areas and weak areas. But the biggest thing is I do one with this wedge game. You break it up into four 25-yard segments, 50, 75, 75, 100, 100, 125, 125 to 150. And you go four balls in that general area. You never hit a ball from the same yardage. You never, because in, in golf, you can't drop one and hit it again. You always go through your process, routine, and everything. And so basically, the stats that we've gone off in the last 10 years, what was the closest proximity to hole in that generalized 25-yard area? So in 2013, when Justin Rose won the U.S. Open, his proximity to hole from 50 to 75 yards was 6 feet 8 inches. That was his average hmm. Wow, from 50 to 75 that is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And and the numbers obviously get further and further away the, the further you go from the hole. But we found over the course of shot link data, we picked the, the best in over the 10-year period that they've been able to keep the data. And that's the number we use. So two of the four balls from that 
you know, 25 yard segment have to be inside the best. The other two can go wherever. But if you get more than two, it adds up. So say you went to 125 to 150, you only got one. If you carry one over, it kind of allows the game to continue. And you do it over a nine-hole period. And you kind of bounce back and forth, and you start to see your strength and weaknesses. And using one club, using multiple clubs, and just trying to figure out how to, you know, I'm in this situation, like how to deal with it. And... You kind of, I do way better with games like that. Sitting on the on the range, hitting balls. Like my coach Scott Hamilton will tell you that I've definitely got driving range ADD. Golf is very counterintuitive to my personality, and so any anything that involves like getting into it and kind of figuring out how to make a score, make a shot, like that, way more intrigues me than sitting in a bay hitting balls on a track, man. I love that story because most people would expect, like, if you're trying to work on that stat, you would go to the range on a track, man, and, like, you'd grind on that. But, like, no, it's way better, right? The, Get the, on the course. The range is, is more a technical thing. Like, how I do on the range is completely irrelevant to my score on the course because I feel like, so, for instance, testing a driver shaft here on Monday in Minnesota and, you know, messing with some spin numbers and just trying to find a more optimal version, you know, to cut down a couple, you know, 100 RPMs and just try to make, hey, I'm driving it nice, but is could we make it a little bit better? And you kind of give that give and take and, and kind of deal with it. But you're basically dealing with Monday afternoon numbers and trying to extrapolate and compare it to what it would be Sunday afternoon coming under the gun where your swing speed, you know, is in that, you know, some guys three, some guys seven miles an hour, you know, if I'm swinging at 114, 116 on a Monday, like it's going to be significantly higher Sunday afternoon under the pump. And I just think that so many people are like, well, you know, it goes so much further in tournaments. Like, yeah, everything, attention <laughs> to detail, focus. And so just with that mindset, understanding that this is a process, I'm going to be technical here, but I'm going to go on the golf course. I got to go execute. And learning kind of the differences and similarities between the two is something that I think people struggle with. So having the awareness that like Sunday is different than Tuesday, what do you take out of like Monday through Wednesday then? If you know that you might be hitting a different club or et cetera, just because things change. I mean, I've done this for a long time now and by no means do I feel like I have it all figured out. But just with that and, and awareness, like, you know, I get out there and there's a bunker at, you know, say 295 and, you know, in the Tuesday practice around a flat right in the lip and you're like, oh, okay. You know, Thursday afternoon, I know I'm going to be able to ship it right over the corner of it. Yeah. And just, I think from course preparations, I think you think about it a little bit different. I think from the way that you practice, obviously there's, there's times where track man and the range and instructors are vital. I mean, you get to hit it sideways. Like you absolutely have to have that time and, and kind of go sort it out. But there's other times that, you know, man, I need to go put a bunch of balls on the golf course and figure out, you know, the give and take between, you know, what am I doing well and, you know, what needs significant improvement. Let's jump back a bit. So 12 years old, you're like, golf is it. How long did it take you before you were like, I'm good at this. Like, I, I could be really good at this. I was a pretty late bloomer. I didn't get a ton of looks from college. Ended up playing at a small school, Division One school, Tennessee Tech. And ultimately, man, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I had a, and as my career progressed into, you know, freshman, sophomore year of college, uh, my college coach had played on tour for a few years and kind of pulled me aside and said, man, I feel like you have the talent and ability to, to make a run at it. And, you know, he was always hounding on me, make sure I, I did a little bit more than everyone else. 
and was willing to put the time and effort into it. And, and still, I mean, I didn't know how to work at it. I just thought time and volume and just keep stacking hours. I mean, looking at it now, like I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, I feel like I have a decent idea now, but you know, still my time management is the key, especially if you're going to be out here for a long time, understanding when you can put the hammer down and, and really grind it out. And also understanding that, you know, from a mindset perspective and how to kind of get away from the game. And so when you show up, like you're ready to work instead of, oh crap, I got to do this again. You know, I enjoy the process. I enjoy the, the trial and error of getting better and kind of everything that goes along with that. But, uh, you know, there's definitely a give and take and, and there's a lot, a, a lot of poor decisions that hopefully lead to, uh, better outcomes and better processes, uh, through the course of a career. You said it, you know, in spite of that though, looking back, it like, wasn't great, right? You were stacking hours. You, you've made it right. Like you, you made it to where you were aiming for. So why do you think you were able to keep chugging along? Even though, like you said, you do it differently now. I did a lot of things really well. I was always a good ball striker and I was able to kind of get it around the hole. My length helped. I mean, I hit it significantly shorter now than I did when I first got on tour, but I do not hit it out of play near as much. So there's a, a definitely a give and take there. I mean, I, I don't hit it short by any means, but I've made some sacrifices equipment wise, body wise and stuff like that to make sure that I can, you know, be able to do this for the long haul. I mean, my back doesn't bother me anymore. I don't hit a 30-yard hook with my wedge. You know, stuff like everything that goes into being a more efficient and a more productive golfer week in, week out. And, you know, I think people have to kind of figure out what does that version – I know this is what I'm capable of, but is that actually feasible over the course of a 30-week season? You know, instead of being the flash in the pan, like how can I be a, a you know, relevant week in, week out instead of just once every now and then? College is when you got really good, right? Uh -huh. You you get all American and a couple. All I was all American. A couple championships or something. Was that what it was? Or yeah, I had a, a really good college career. So how did you make that jump? Then you said high school maybe not so much, and then college you just it just kind of. I started working went off. with uh, a coach my sophomore year of college, Brad Rose, and the first thing he, I had kind of a very manufactured putting grip. I held the putter the way that I swung, like I interlocked. I never even thought anything any different. That's just kind of what I did. And I had a really funky, the way my left hand was sitting on the putter was super strong. And I remember the first thing he said, he's like, How, how's that Honda? Like, I didn't know what that meant. And he said, you're, he said, you drive a car like this. And he put his hand up like you would put your, on the steering wheel of a car. He said, this is how you putt. And he changed my putting grip. And the next week, I won my first college tournament in, at Jacksonville State in Gadsden, Alabama. And it just kind of like evolved from there as far as understanding, well, you do this well, how can we make it a little bit better? And, you know, that kind of, you know, working with him and kind of figuring out ways to consistently get better and, and making it where I knew what the goal, like the long-term goal and the short-term goal and kind of how that met throughout was something that we tried to work for, uh, tried to work for all the time. And it just kind of went from there, man. But that was the first lesson I ever got. Oh, it was in college. No, I college. mean, I had some other guys yeah. like club pros and stuff like sure. that, that I worked, you know, took around played junior events and, and things like that. But 
the first, like, all right, I need to get some guidance here. And it was a tipping point yeah, for you then. It's kind of like... I'm actually reading Malcolm Gladwell's book, oh, Tipping Point, right now. Nice. So that's very <laughs> appealing to me as far as just, you know, how things cascade from one, you know, kind of come to back to one point and, you know, kind of magnifies after some significant event. Yep. And so he was your your first coach and were you with him for a while then? Like I was with him for 10 years. My son's actually named after him. And, you know, we stopped working together two years ago or so. And, you know, just to do what we do all the time, I knew with a family, I wanted to have a person, a coach that traveled a significant amount of time on the road. And he wasn't in a spot where that was going to be feasible. And so just, you know, transition into my instructor now, Scott Hamilton, he's just north of Atlanta in Cartersville. And he's been great. And similar personalities, similar teaching styles, uh, but just more available. And I didn't want to have to come home after being on the road for a month and having two kids and, man, I need to go grind it out. Like, I wanted to you know, kind of compartmentalize that part of my life and, and make sure when I came on the road, I was ready to put the time in. But when I was off, I was able to kind of take the time away and be with my family. Yeah. And then I love the grind of the mini tour to nationwide to PGA, right? And you, you made that whole journey. How did you, like looking back, how did you keep progressing? Like what were some of the things that you think that helped you keep stepping up your game at, at every level? Learn how to travel, learn how to be a professional, everything that kind of goes along between making a paycheck, learn how to manage sponsors, learn how to manage, you know, your time and resources to be able to, you know, fulfill a certain outcome. I mean, any kind of business mindset, I mean, my business was golf. And, you know, in 2010, I missed my tour card by a shot. And everyone thought that was like this huge detriment that happened to me. But ultimately, was the probably the best thing ever. I mean, I spent my first basically month on the well, now cornferryweb.com. When I played, it was nationwide. Spent basically the first four events were out of the country. I'd never traveled out of the country to play golf anywhere let alone for my job. Yeah. And I mean, that was like early-ish December. And second week of January, I was in New Zealand and trying to figure it out, man. Yeah. And Australia, Colombia, Panama, kind of everything that went along with the schedule that it was at the time. And I mean, that was a huge... I matured a lot as a man. My wife was... I was very fortunate to have my wife be able to go with me and, and kind of learn that process of, of being a husband and, and a professional golfer and and a man all at the same time. And so there's a lot of maturity that happened and kind of progressed from there. I played mini tours out of college for about 18 months, went to Q school, missed, played a full year, Q school, missed my card by shot, web.com or nationwide. Didn't get my card, but at the time, if you placed high enough in the, the money list, you basically got a free run at finals. And I played a practice round with Scott Brown at Orange County National. He told me on the fourth hole, and he said, buddy, I don't know. He said, if you don't get your card this week, you're never going to get it. <laughs> and I mean, I oh was, I, I hit a huge draw with my driver uh, and just bombed it. Yeah. And or it was long, it was wet. Yeah. And uh, I finished, I think I finished like sixth in the tournament. And he literally told me on the fourth hole of the practice round, he said, if you don't get your card this week, you're never going to get it. Pressure is on. <laughs> so I'll never forget that. So what do you think, like someone's, someone's listening and they're, whatever, if they're on a mini tour or if whatever level they're at and they're grinding to try to get to that next level, right? And make that jump. Is it like get your life in order outside of golf first? Like you're talking about mature there or is it, is there something in golf to like, what are some of the pitfalls that you 
thing that people fall into when they're trying to make that jump. You know, try to be someone they're not on and off the golf course. You know, you get some people that run hot. You got some people that that run, you know, that look like they care less about being out there. And, you know, some people that kind of fall in the middle. And, you know, a lot of people need to go out there and a little bit of trial by fire and kind of learn, all right, what do I need to be when I'm out here and what feels comfortable, what doesn't. Understanding how to travel and uh, like, all right, I know how to do this for a week, but do I know how to do this for 30? Do I know how to travel? Do I know how to pack? Do I know how to like get from place to place? And I mean, we're talking about booking travel six months in advance. Like not many people coming straight out of college know how to manage that. And I think there's just a lot of things that the physical act of playing golf doesn't change very much, but the avenue in which you get to the golf course and, and deal with that week to week changes significantly let's kind of wrap on this you've gone through you know a lot of changes in your your game and there's other things that you've done that kind of document that which are awesome people should go check out your story over the last couple years a question in on what are some of the habits or like routines right now and like when you come out here this week that you think are critical for you to play your best like what are what are some of those basic fundamentals i mean play on the best tour in the world with the best players in the world and Every single one of us is trying to get better at the basic stuff, you know, set up and, you know, all down the line, basically from, you know, like your first ever golf lesson, we're still working on the same things. We're just a little bit better at the yeah. most. I mean, that's truly the <laughs> yeah. way to look at it. You know, putting inside eight feet. I mean, that's something that needs to, you know, everybody needs to be good at. And, you know, you're dealing with the best of the best. So your margins are very small. So small improvements across a, a broad area, something that you kind of look at to kind of make an overall gain. But in terms of like habits, it's not a matter of if and when, just a matter of what time of day. And that goes for practice, that goes for training, that goes for you know rest, and just figure out how to compartmentalize certain areas and make time for you know whether it's it's a body fatigue thing or it's a a mental thing or a physical wh- whatever it is. Learning how to, to the ability to say no. And, you know, whether it's your body or your golf or your family and be able to prioritize those specific things at their time. And I listened to this thing with uh, Elon Musk and he talked about how he compartmentalized certain segments of time per day. And he, he didn't feel like he would be a something about his like personal relationships he didn't feel he felt like a a wife or you know significant other would take up x number of hours a day for him to commit to and he didn't feel like he was willing to give up the other parts of his life to be able to like attribute that much time of his day to that Hmm. so he just kind of rinsed it huh and obviously uh, family (laughs) i've been married for 12 years uh, two kids six and three boy and a girl and that's kind of there's a lot of personality and stuff that goes into like what those priorities come into, yeah. but learning how to manage all that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. So this podcast series is all about development, right? So if, if let's say your son decides to play golf, right? And uh-huh. he's trying to do it. What do you think would be the biggest advice or things that you would help him with down the road here? If he, if he chooses to, to go after it, I'd make him work on his fundamentals and make him work from the green back yeah. and ultimately let him give him as many opportunities as I possibly can to let him play. And I think as a dad and a professional golfer and whether it's my son or, or it's one of my friends, kid, kids came, I was like, I want to be a good golfer. That's, I would tell him the exact same thing, whether he was my son or not. And you see so many people make mistakes of the perfect swing or, I mean, you go up and down this range, there's not many with perfect swings. There's a lot of funky looking action out there, but they know how to get it done. 
and you know there's more than one way to do it and but just figuring out how to be that version of yourself more often than not and come out here day in day out with purpose and a plan and go out there and figure out how to execute yeah that's been super common your your story of be yourself you said that before once here like that's that's a very common phrase that i've heard a number of times just doing doing these conversations when it's like everyone's eventually has the temptation to be someone else right like you've got to do that so it's yeah i've done this long enough to where i could completely care less you know other people's thoughts and opinions of how i do things i feel confident in my ability i feel confident in the people i've entrusted to value their opinion and how they feel like i can get better and i think that goes a long way to me becoming who i want to be while i'm out here yeah cool man thanks for hanging out appreciate the time awesome i appreciate having me on Hey, this was a super fun conversation. I really enjoyed sitting down with Scott to talk through all of this. You know, it'd be awesome if he said thank you, if you tagged him on Instagram or Twitter in the, the podcast along with this. It'd just be amazing. He's a great follow on, on Instagram. Make sure to go do that. Scott Stallings. Appreciate you listening to this podcast. As always, make sure to subscribe. We have new stuff coming at you every week. Also, we have our uh, newsletter. You can become an insider, all our resources and whatnot. Make sure to head over to golfsideslab.com slash insider. Go get that. And this episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and was edited, mixed and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. Mm-hmm.